Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Tiff Lady T, and you are listening to Consensus Pod. Here on Consensus Pod, we discuss faith, family, and navigating the modern society as a member of the nuclear family structure. Well, today we have a very, very interesting episode. Of course, unless you have been living under a rock, you heard that Friday, June 24th, 2022, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. Um, Of course, everyone has their opinions on it, and I'm going to give you mine today. But before we get into my opinions, we're going to discuss Roe versus Wade, the history of it, what it was originally made for. Um, We're going to discuss someone that up until 2020, during the summer of protests, the pro-choice community praised as a hero among women, and that is Margaret Sanger. We are also going to discuss something that pro-choicers failed to mention, especially in the sphere of Black company. That is Margaret Sanger's The Negro Project, its intentions for the Black community, and why Planned Parenthood facilities are mainly located inside of Black communities. We're also going to discuss overturn 2022, as I have coined it, and my opinions on the matter. So, roll music and let's get going. Folks, that we have a show for you today. If you have not heard, Friday, June 24, 2022, the Supreme Court made a groundbreaking decision, and that decision was to overturn Roe versus Wade. Of course, everyone, it seems, has an opinion on this matter. The pro-choice community is not very happy. They are um, protesting in various states the decision, even and this is ironic, even in states that do not have trigger laws that say that if a uh, a woman wants access to abortion in a state that does not have trigger laws against it, that she can probably still get access to abortion. Kind of odd. But um, the Supreme Court made the decision to overturn it at the federal level, meaning that the states now have the right to decide whether or not to ban abortion in its individual territory, its individual state. So people are upset about this, but I think that a lot of people don't necessarily know the entire, the in um, the greater details of Roe versus Wade, okay? Now I hear people arguing left and right that if abortion was overturned, then, you know, in cases of rape, incest, or life of the mother, then those women were going to be forced to carry, to continue in those pregnancies. And that is a lie. That is a lie, and it has been because Roe versus, before Roe versus Wade, the abortion was criminal unless originally it was for the purity and the purpose of saving the life of the mother only. So even if abortion was illegal, if you were a woman and you had one of these pregnancies where your life was in danger, you could still have access to abortion. Of course, those extensions extensions were added to that, which included 
for the life and health of the mother, for the continuance of pregnancy would gravely impair the physical or mental health of the mother. The child would be born with grave physical or mental defects or the pregnancy resulted from rape, incest, or other felonious intercourse. So those provisions were added before abortion for convenience sake or Roe versus Wade was actually instituted. People don't know that. Um, and so you hear these pro-choice activists on TV screen, or maybe they do know that they're just counting on the fact or they're hoping that the general public doesn't know. Uh, the pro-choice activists lean on those particular circumstances to champion for rights for abortion. They say, well, what if, you know, what are women going to do if their lives are in danger and they're pregnant in this state where abortion is now criminalized? Well, for medical purposes, such as the life of the mother, there have been provisions in, in American state laws preventing women from dying in pregnancy and allowing for abortions strictly to save the life of the mother. Um, of course, those other two provisions for the, or the other three provisions for the mental and physical health of the mother, the child being born with mental, dis, uh, mental or physical deformities and the child was conceived through rape, incest, or other felonious intercourse, of course, that would mean things like statutory rape where someone was sick and disgusting enough to impregnate a child. Uh, so those provisions already existed. And this is where reading is fundamental really comes into play because if you're taking, if you're getting all your information from television, you're really not, uh, or, or from some word of mouth, you really don't know anything. So, the grand, the landmark decision of Roe versus Wade was a decision that was implemented to allow women access to abortion for convenience sake. And that has actually spilled over into the statistics for why women get abortions. The study was actually done in, which showed that 74%, respectively 73 to 74% of women have abortions because, and I quote, having a baby would dramatically change my life and I can't afford a baby right now. Diving deeper into that because uh, they were a student planning on studying or having a baby would interfere with their education. The proportion say it would interfere with their employment. So abortion for the sake of preserving career or choice or student status rather than for you know this life and safety of the mother or because it was a um because of the pregnancy was the result of rape incest or felonious intercourse so though the those other circumstances of course existed but those were covered in the law as of about 1969, before abortion, before Roe v. Wade was uh, legalized at the federal level in 1973. Isn't that funny um, how certain information is greatly hidden from the public just to gain support for this issue? So uh, Roe v. Wade uh, covered the lawsuit of a Texas woman who filed an action against Texas's criminal abortion status, only allowing abortions for the purpose of saving the life of the mother. And then of course that brought into question into 
the forefront a broader discussion, um, which of course consisted of, you know, privacy between a woman and her doctor, which was argued that during the first trimester, the, uh, the state and the federal government really did need to stay out of that situation, that decision that that was something that a woman made with her doctor in the first trimester, the second trimester, the state and the second and third trimester, the state got involved. If it, if the pregnancy was shown to be a risk factor to the mother and that of course pulls over into our landmark decision that was made on Friday. So I highly doubt that those statutes on abortion are going to change. If it's for life of the mother or for reasons of incest, they're not going to, uh, as pro-choicers are trying to say, force women to have babies that they didn't want. Now, for those 73 to 74% who feel that they're uh, they, you know, they can't afford a baby or that their career or their student status may be in jeopardy if they become pregnant. Well, then they have some decisions to make. They have a duty to themselves and a responsibility to um, be sexually responsible, whatever that means, whether it means abstinence, whether it means using birth control, whether it means requiring your sleazy partners to wear a condom, whether it means monitoring your ovulation cycle and only having intercourse on your non-fertile days, whatever that means, it means that you have to do something. You have to do something other than just recklessly uh, jump in and out of bed with people and then try to run off to a clinic to get rid of what you did in the problem because then after you've conceived, you start to consider you know, how this is gonna affect employment, how it's gonna affect your student status, what you can and cannot afford and things like that. So we have got to, it becomes an issue of personal responsibility at that point, separate from life of the mother, rape, incest, uh, which, of course, as of 1969, most states had already had provisions for those for those specific instances anyway. But the pro-abortion people will not tell you that, and they count on you not reading. Reading is fundamental. People don't let these, don't let the people on the idiot box do the thinking for you. Secondly, I want to get into the founder of Planned Parenthood, who of course is the main provider of, or was the main provider of America's abortions. And that is a woman by the name of Margaret Sanger. Now for many years, Sanger has been championed as a hero to women in her uh, birth control movement and a hero among women for, of course, establishing Planned Parenthood and which became the number one facilitator of abortions in America. However, what was hidden about Ms. Sanger until about 2020 by, for most people was her very racist agenda with things like the Negro Project toward Black America and her eugenics, or her eugenics plan for others that she deemed undesirable or unfit to breed. These people include Blacks, Catholics, who she deeply resented, um, poor whites, people with physical or mental deformities, and um, the likes. She also had a thing against Jews, too. So if you fall into any one of those categories, Miss Sanger 
believed in your ultimate extermination. So here's the kicker. I actually bought a book called The Negro Project, Margaret Sanger's Diabolical, Duplicitous, Dangerous, Disastrous, and Deadly Plan for Black America by Bruce Flinnery. And what Mr. Flurry, just what he discusses in this book is a plan that Margaret Sanger had for the extermination of Blacks. And of course, that plan was titled The Negro Project. So this woman who had preached the message of birth control as a form of racial hygiene to people like the Ku Klux Klan Ladies Auxiliary infiltrated the Black church and Black society and manipulated Black leaders such as W.E.B. Du Bois, Mary McLeal Bethune, um, and... and uh, a Baptist minister, Andrew Clayton Powell, and a host of others into believing that her message was strictly about birth control and helping Black women um, take control of their bodies and um, decide when they were going to have children or how many. And she called her, she, she preached this extermination message through weak-minded pastors and black leaders who fell for her manipulation and two uh with the manipulative terms such as women's health uh women's choice women's health care so what she did was establish planned parenthood had those centers brought mainly into black or established and built mainly into black neighborhoods and there from there the extermination of black children started and i'm actually going to read a passage from Bruce, Bruce Flurry's book, The Negro Project, on page 110, and I want you guys to listen. We have detailed how Margaret Sanger, the mother of the birth control movement, had a particular animus toward minorities, and at the top of her list were Black American citizens. Her supporters claimed that the Negro Project had only the noblest of intentions and that she was merely trying to empower women, especially poor Black women, by giving them access to reliable information on birth control. But a closer examination of the facts reveals that such was hardly the case. In the first place, Sanger considered all minorities inferior and unworthy of life, and Blacks held a particularly low rung on the ladder for no other reason than the color of their skin. What else can explain her alliance with the New Jersey Ku Klux Klan, whose ladies' auxiliary she addressed in 1926? Why would she have anything to do with an avowed racist like Lanthrop Stoddard, S. Adolphus Knopp, Harry Laughlin, and Madison Grant? All of the people that were named there were also eugenicists who believed in uh, forced sterilization and euthanasia of people that they, dis they within themselves, believed were unfit to breed and why to her dying day did she not sever her ties with such individuals secondly given her hatred for organized religion especially the catholic church the fact that black americans just as they are today were the most religious people in the country must have rankled her on a most visceral level when she wrote her infamous letters to Clarence J. Gamble on December 10, 1939, she was well aware that despite the inroads made by birth control movement in the Black churches, opposition to her message remained quite strong among Black pastors and their congregations. To Sanger, to sim this simply would not do. Thus the need, she, as she saw it, to hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds and engaging personalities, 
to finally seal the deal and infiltrate these black churches with the eugenic agenda. Because of this agenda, Black America has paid a frightful price at the, hundred, at the hands of a woman who, along with her willing accomplices in the eugenics movement, established an organization, Planned Parenthood, that has been responsible first for an untold number of sterilizations of unsuspecting Blacks and later for the millions of abortions that have been performed on women of color. While we do not know for certain how many abortions were done on Black women alone, first by the American Birth Control League, its successor, the Birth Control Federation of America, and finally by its successor, Planned Parenthood, prior to 1973, we do know that since then more than 3,000 such producers have been carried out per day since abortion was declared a fundamental constitutional right by the United States Supreme Court, and that upward of 35% of all abortions were performed on Black women. The Black community has been especially hardest hit by abortion and has paid dearly to the tune of more than 17 million of these procedures. And this is all thanks to Margaret Sanger, her followers at the time, and those who continue to carry her bloody legacy, her horrifying pro-choice agenda. So, Margaret Sanger established Planned Parenthood, who, of course, we read through the names first. It was the uh, what was it? The American Birth Control League. Then it was the Fe the Birth Control Federation of America and finally Planned Parenthood as the number one uh, producer of America's birth control procedures. It put those into black communities for the purpose of exterminating blacks prior to Roe versus Wade, and which was, of course, uh, put into law in 1973. So. If you ask me, the overturning of Roe versus Wade has done, or the overturning of Roe versus Wade will, if nothing else, save scores of black children and all children, but I'm focusing specifically on my own community here because it, this particular project was, was uh, drafted to exterminate us. But what the overturning of Roe versus Wade just it does at this point on is saves black babies. 500,000 of our children were exterminated in abortion clinics across this country every single year. And now those numbers will drop, um, not only in the black community, but of course, in other communities, the rate of innocent babies being murdered in abortion clinics is, it will drop drastically. Now I know that being realistic instead of optimistic, I know that abortions are still gonna happen both legal and, and illegal because there are gonna be people who will travel to get abortions. And that is all that's being talked about in the news right now. But that number does drop significantly when um, you have states that, that have enacted their trigger laws and such states as the one that I'm living in that are preparing to uh, put into motion laws that have been on the books banning abortion prior to Roe versus Wade. Of course, as we discussed earlier, those laws will not affect the, uh, in the case of rape, incest, or life of the mother. Don't let the media lie to you. If you do your own research, you will understand that there have always been uh, certain circumstances where it's permitted, and life of the mother has been one since about the 1800s. The rape incest um, 
other felonious intercourse came about later, but that was of course established before Roe versus Wade. So basically Roe versus Wade was about access to abortion for women who got pregnant after consenting to sex. Uh, and you know, it, the pregnancy was not, uh, it came about at a time where they did, it was not convenient for them. So that ladies and gentlemen is the basis of the overturn of Roe versus Wade. It is the anger over, I cannot just irresponsibly get pregnant and then go and murder a baby right now, anymore. So as you've heard, as of Friday, June 24th, 2022, Roe v. Wade has been reversed. And uh, what this means is that the decision to either ban or keep abortion, uh, I guess, if law is up to the state. And I saw earlier on the news after I got home from church that a greater majority of the states will have a greater majority of states are either have already instituted trigger laws that make it illegal or are on the way to working to make abortion uh, illegal. And what does this mean outside of the fact that access to abortion is no longer available to a lot of people? Well, what this means is that. People are going to have to have some decision making. I think one of the best opinions that I've um, heard on this matter, I actually listened to yesterday on Jason Whitlock's Fearless program, where he said that America has, or Americans and America, we have become so addicted to a culture of sex with no consequences that now people don't know what to do with themselves, that they're going to have to start to consider the consequences of their sexual actions. Um, Mothers are going to have to, or not mothers, but women are going to have to start to think about the men that they have sex with and are they're going to have to start to make some choices. You know, is he going to, if I happen to become pregnant by this man, would he make a good father? Where People are really going to have to start making these considerations. And as far as men, men are going to have some decisions to make too. Now, are you willing to be in the, uh, if a sexual encounter with a woman results in a child, are you going to be a stand-up father and actually help raise that kid? Or are you going to be a bum and run away? Um, I actually saw a video where a man advocated for something on the internet earlier. He said that, well, since, and this, of course not, he was pro-choice. Um, he said that, well, if women can't back out of pregnancy, then it should be now illegal for men to run from their responsibilities and the woman that they impregnate. Is that a possibility? And is that on uh, the... Is that something that people will consider? I don't know. But I definitely think that what is happening now is that after the dust settles and people finally understand that, uh, you know, finally come to terms with the reversal of Roe versus Wade, there's going to be a large number of people that have to sit down and realize that, whoops, anyway, there's going to be a kind of a come to Jesus moment, so to speak, which says that, which, you know, people are going to start to realize that their actions have consequences. And of course, I am talking specifically about those who consent to sexual encounters, because I know that somebody's going to listen to this and bring up rape. And I hate when pro-choicers use rape as like the, uh, they weaponize sexual assault, which is really offensive to sexual assault survivors, by the way. They weaponize sexual assault against uh, pro-lifers in a way that says that if you are against abortion or in a way to basically say that if you are against abortion, you must be pro-rape and that's not the case. 
and have a stance against abortion and also feel like if a person goes out here and rapes someone and gets them pregnant, then that man should go to jail. Um, and that there should definitely be strict and harsh consequences for him. Um, not to mention the fact that what pro-choicers seem to do is with that argument is completely dismiss that percentage of women who were victims of rape, but chose to carry and raise those children anyway, that did not choose to end the life of their child just because their father was a pathetic scumbag rapist. So anywho, but for those who are consenting to sex, you're going to have some decisions to make those who, um, I don't know, maybe this will open the eyes of a new generation of people and have them for the first time, probably for many consider the consequences of their actions before they just jump into bed with someone and maybe, just maybe, people will start to take more precautions in the area of their sexual activities to prevent pregnancies in the first place. Um, I know that people are going to say, well, uh, unplanned pregnancies shouldn't be a burden on either the parents. Well, that's what contraception and condoms and a whole host of other things are for. Um, if you are not willing to take the precautions to prevent a pregnancy now, then maybe you shouldn't be having sex. That's my opinion on it. And if people don't like that, that is up to you. That is fine. Um, but I, for one, think that there's going to be some good that comes out of this. And what good that comes from this. And I know that because I know there's somebody right now that is pregnant and that is terrified out of our mind because let's tell the truth about it. Being pregnant, that first pregnancy is scary as I don't know what, you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what kind of parent of mother you're going to be. You question yourself and everything about uh, what is going on with you. And it's terrifying, but there are going to be women out there who are, there are women out there that need help. So, and I'm glad to see this uh, message kind of spreading across social media and been preached in churches that now it is our duty as Christians to actually step in and act step in, in action to do what we've been called to do and help our fellow man in this area, help these mothers, help these children, help these fathers. Cause, uh, you know, men are just as much a part of a family and part of the children's lives and pregnancy affects them almost as much as it does a woman. Um, now I know there's going to be somebody that listens to that and says, no, it doesn't. You know, if a guy doesn't want to be a father, he can always walk away. Well, he can walk away from his responsibility, but that doesn't change the fact that he's a dad. And that that responsibility may show up at your door later in about 18 years with uh, wanting some answers. Um, so what we have to do and what I'm glad was preached at my church today is there is a call rising in Christian churches around the nation to actually step up and put our heads together and figure out how to help these mothers, whether it's with resources for employment, for jobs, for childcare, for uh, the things that children need, food, clothes, diapers, wipes, uh, beds, because baby cribs are not cheap. Nothing involving children is cheap. Um, but they, you know, the necessities that a child needs to survive, to counseling, to um, mentoring, just to, to uh, offer those mothers and those those babies support and real moral support, but also hands-on support so that these kids, this generation of children that are going to be born after this can thrive in their childhood and not have to str struggle and suffer. And I want people to 
also consider the fact that with this new generation of children being born, of course, we know that some of them are going to be poor. Um, I want there to be no um, resentment toward those mothers if they start working, you know, when they're working and trying to take care of their children, if they also need to reach out for social welfare programs for assistance, because it's literally what it's there for. It's there to help supplement what families cannot afford to do for themselves. Now, I don't think that that welfare should be a multi-generational thing where one generation is completely raised on it and then the next generation follows in the footsteps. But that is not an excuse to deny access to social welfare programs for people who are in need, especially those in those earliest, you know, in the stages like now, those, early, those earliest need, um, um, stages of life. We have to uh, really reach out and help these will be new mothers. And even if it means helping them find um, and, and assisting with adoption, because I can see adoption rates going through the roof or, you know, children, uh, mothers who are giving their children up, help them find the right place, the safest place to take them. So we don't have a bunch of babies being left in dumpsters. So, you know, take them to hospitals, to fire departments, to police stations, to churches, and those churches get in contact with the proper authorities and help these kids get to, um, you know, homes or hospitals or wherever is safest for them so that we can, and so that they can uh, be taken care of and no one has to get hurt or die or go to jail or anything like that. It is up to us now to reach out and actually do what we're supposed to do. Stop with all the nonsense, reach forth, help our fellow man, help these little children, because as it is required of us as Christians by the Lord, uh, we know that what you do to the quote least of these you are also doing to christ himself so if you're spitting on these women and 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 demonizing their their children and whatnot then you're doing the same it is just as if you were doing that to christ if you're mistreating them you're mistreating that is the skin to mistreating christ if you're ignoring them and their needs and uh not providing not helping to provide some sort of support or some sort of assistance it's the same thing as doing that to jesus himself and we don't want to do that Help these women, help these children, whatever that means. If it means helping them adopt, then do Well, that is all the time I have for today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, tune in Wednesday because I have a very special episode on the union of marriage and monogamy. Yes. I can't wait to get into this particular episode. It's very dear and special to me. But tune in Wednesday, same time, 9 o'clock p.m. You guys have a blessed uh, night and a wonderful day tomorrow. Tune in every Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday for all new episodes of Consistence Podcast where we discuss faith, family, and navigating society as a member of the nuclear family structure. Have a beautiful evening.